The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Galatia, was addressing two serious issues. The one issue that was actually not as important, but it was still an issue, was one of integrity and morality. The other issue, the more important, was an issue of identity. Uh, Open your Bibles to Galatians and take out your notes this morning. We've got a lot to cover. The book of Galatians is unique in many ways. Galatia was not a city, it was a region. The eastern half of Turkey was known as Galatia. The six books around the book of Galatians were all written to cities. Rome and 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Rome of, uh, Romans was, of course, written to the city of Rome. Corinthians was written to the city of Corinth. Then we come to uh, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, written to Ephesus, Philippi, and Colossae. But in the middle of those other six books, there's this book of Galatians, written not to a city, but to a region. There were many Christians scattered throughout the area. And it was as if, Not only was someone trying to sneak on the airplane, but they were trying to sneak a bunch of other people on the airplane. And not only were they trying to sneak a bunch of other people on the airplane, they were trying to put so much baggage on the plane that the plane would have crashed with everyone on it. That's why Paul took it so seriously. Of all the letters Paul writes, this is the most confrontational. It's the only letter that Paul wrote where he didn't thank God for the people he's writing to. Now imagine being the only group out of 13 other letters that he wrote. He thanked God for all 12 of the others, but this one he never thanked God for. In all 12 of the others, he asked them to pray for him. He didn't ask this group to pray for him. He knew they were so bad off. I don't even want you guys praying for me. Now that's pretty serious. Let me just uh, put it this way. And these are all on the front of your notes. So you can follow along quite easily. But in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he says, I am astonished how quickly you deserted the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Imagine, a different gospel. And quickly he adds, which, by the way, is no gospel at all. Then he continues, verse 7, Some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Immediately he says, Let him be eternally condemned. The word in the Greek is anathema. And he repeats it again. Let him be anathema or eternally condemned. We use the term damned. I mean, we we don't use that word, but but it's it's what we would use if we ever used that word. Imagine! This is strong language. Then chapter 3, verse 1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? 
It's like they're teaching you some wrong doctrine and they're lulling you into some hypnotic state. And then, chapter 5. If you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Can you imagine? Making Christ of no value to you? And then, this is the one that like goes way over the edge. Like, Paul, ooh, did you really need to say that? Chapter 5, verse 12. As for the agitators, you know what an agitator is. It's the thing in your, in your washing machine that rocks it back and forth to get all the dirt. But these guys were agitating. I wish that you would go the whole way. Don't just circumcise yourselves. Go ahead and castrate yourselves. I mean, it's okay to smile at that. I mean, that... I'm not making this up. If it wasn't in the Bible, I wouldn't dare to say anything like that. But it's right there. This is strong language. Yikes. This is serious. You know, a lot of us enjoyed the music of Keith Green. Keith Green died because they put too much on the airplane. It was all his sound equipment and other things, and he took off the runway and crashed a quarter mile away. Sad. We all wished he had lived on. God knows what he's doing. He's sovereign. I'm not questioning that. Now, listen. If I were to ask you, how many of you want to get to heaven? Oh, yeah. Okay. How many of you believe in Jesus? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Jesus is the airplane that gets us from earth to heaven. But you better not try to add to Jesus anything in addition to Jesus or that plane will crash. It's true. Jesus isn't going to crash. Don't take the analogy too far. But you're not going to get there. That is exactly what Paul's saying, and I want to make this more personal. A number of years ago, I led a young guy to Christ. He was the quarterback on a local uh, football team in high school, graduated, had a bunch of offers, decided to go to Florida State University. He went there. I had discipled him. I had baptized him. I taught him to study the Bible. I taught him how to study the Bible. And I taught him to memorize. And I, I taught him what to memorize. And he memorized a lot of good scriptures. The problem was he gets to his school, Florida State University, all of his friends in the fraternity were going to this one church. The church taught you do not go to heaven unless you are baptized in the name of Jesus only. You have to be baptized to get to heaven and you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus only. He said, how come you never taught me this? I wrote him back. I said, because it's wrong. He says, well, tell me why it's wrong. And I wrote him a five-page, single-spaced letter on the book of Galatians. 
Because the book of Galatians was written, listen to this, to people who believed in Jesus, but were now being taught, in addition to the Jesus in whom you believe, you also need to be circumcised in order to be right with God. And if you're not circumcised, Jesus only is not sufficient. That may sound like a subtle little distinction, like, well, what difference does that make? If they believe in Jesus plus that, isn't it okay? No. We talk with a lot of dear Hindu people in our community. Hindus believe in millions of gods. And when they hear about Jesus, they can tend to add Jesus to a list of many other gods. And they think, well, yes, I believe in Jesus. And I believe in this God and this God and this God. But I believe in Jesus. Now, God keeps the books. But Paul says that is categorically wrong. You do not need anything other than Jesus in order to be right with God. In fact, trying to add anything else to Jesus creates another gospel which is no gospel at all and which renders Jesus ineffective to you. And that's how he could dare to say, why don't you go ahead and just emasculate yourself. The world would be better off because you're already anathema. That's serious. Now, we always try to get our arms around the book. We identified two problems. Now, just watch this. The book has... Six chapters. Two chapters are on credibility. The credibility of the Apostle Paul. The second two chapters are on theology. Dealing with the whole issue of identity. And who is truly a believer and who is not. And the final two chapters are on morality. Now let's just put all those three sections together. Two chapters each. Without the credibility of the Apostle Paul, he had no right to teach the theology. And without the theology, there would be no basis for the morality. So the whole book hangs together perfectly. In the first section, we learn things about the Apostle Paul that we don't know other than this section. For instance, Galatians chapter 1 Paul identifies himself, verse 17, he said, After I became a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, went up to Jerusalem. If you were to read the book of Acts, apart from verse 17 and 18 of Galatians chapter 1, you would think, that this celebrity, this well-known pagan Paul, who now puts his faith in Jesus Christ, immediately started preaching everywhere. Wrong. What do we do today? A celebrity gets saved. We immediately start inviting him to all of our large churches. 
And before long, they are in the tank spiritually. The Apostle Paul, while reading the book of Acts, it doesn't include this. Here Paul says, before I started preaching, I went into Saudi Arabia. I went out into the desert for about three years and God discipled me. When Chuck Colson got saved, Chuck Colson worked with Richard Nixon. He was known as the hatchet man. For Nixon. He was well known. He was written up in Time and Newsweek and, and all of the networks reported his conversion. And like, how long will this last? And every cartoon, a lot of cartoonists made a lot of money off of uh, Chuck Colson becoming a Christian. They were making all kinds of fun out of him. A friend of mine who was my professor at my graduate school, called Chuck Colson on the phone and said, uh, Mr. Colson, God has put you on my heart. I want to fly to Washington, D.C. and meet with you at my own expense. Can I have an hour with you? He said, I'll give you five hours. Come on down. For the next three years, my friend discipled Chuck Colson. Chuck is a brilliant man. He's a man who can read a 500-page book in a single night. My friend gave him the top 50 books that he wanted him to read over the next three years. Six weeks later, Chuck called him and said, I'm done with those books. What else do you have for me? And he gave him 200 books. By the end of the year, he had completed those. They met together every other week for discipleship. Is it any wonder that Chuck Colson is one of the clearest thinking, most influential Christian leaders of our day? Because he was discipled for three years, intentionally being poured into. And that's what happened to the Apostle Paul. We learn that about him right here. Then we come to the second section, the section on theology. Who is it who's going to enter heaven? And for two chapters, this is interesting, of the two problems that the churches in Galatia were facing, one was the identity issue, the other was the integrity issue. The integrity issue problem was more among the irreligious. The identity problem was more among the religious. So in chapters 3 and 4, Paul corrects the identity issue and deals with the theology primarily out of Old Testament theology and Old Testament stories and history because they were Jewish background believers. Chapters 5 and 6 dealing with the integrity issue was primarily among the pagan irreligious people and he hardly ever, if ever, quotes the Old Testament there for that reason. In chapters 3 and 4, there is an answer. 
Of course, the answer is Christ for our identity. None of us will ever have to earn our salvation nor fear losing it because of what we do. We're not saved by what we do and we're not going to lose it by what we do. We are saved by what Christ has already done. Thank the Lord for that. Now, the integrity issue dealt with in chapters 5 and 6, there again, it's a matter of doing and lifestyle. There were those in the church in Galatia who rejected the legalism of the Jews trying to add to Christ, but they allowed the pendulum to swing so far in the other direction that they went from the error of legalism on the one side to the error of license on the other side. And they said, well, if we're not saved by works, then why bother? We'll throw off all law and do whatever we please. And to that, the Apostle Paul clearly speaks. He speaks almost as strongly to that problem as he did to the legalism. He says to them, if you live by your evil desires and throw off all restraint, then you will perish. But if you live by the Holy Spirit, you will enjoy life and peace. He goes on in chapter 6 and says something very similar. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. If he sows to his sinful nature, he will from that nature reap destruction. If he sows to the Spirit, he will from the Spirit reap life and peace. See, God's not mocked. Now, please follow this. The answer is not just Jesus. Now listen, of course the answer is just Jesus. But Paul does not simply point to Jesus to deal with legalism and to deal with license. He points to the work of the Holy Spirit in us to take what Jesus has accomplished and make it real to us. Beginning in Galatians chapter 3, the first couple verses, running all the way through these four chapters, dealing with these two problems in the church. He begins speaking about the Holy Spirit. Chapter 3, verse 2. Let me ask you a question, he says. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's a rhetorical question. Obviously, they didn't work for the Holy Spirit. They received it by faith. Then chapter 4, verse 4, he says, So, Abraham, who was not saved by works, but Abraham was saved by faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You are not saved by works. In fact, it is the work of God by the Holy Spirit by which you cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy and can now call God your Father, not because of any effort you put forth, because no child has ever been born by their own effort. 
A child is born because a mother and father conceive. And the Father God gives the Holy Spirit to us. And that's when we're born again. And the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. And by Him we cry out, Abba, Father. Now listen. The answer to legalism... Is faith in Jesus Christ, but faith in Jesus Christ that includes the intervention of the Holy Spirit who quickens to us that heart cry that we say, Abba, Father. Now follow this. We come to chapter 5. And right away Paul says, now let me deal with his second issue, verse 1. It is for liberty that Christ has set us free. Let us not therefore be entangled again to a yoke of bondage. And what he's saying is the yoke of sin. So don't throw off restraint and go into license. Stand in that glorious middle. Don't allow the pendulum to swing you into legalism. Don't allow the pendulum to swing you into license in the middle. Riveted on Christ. Operating in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. God gives us not legalism, not license, but liberty. Amen. It's there that Paul now reinforces the Spirit. And he says, as Christians now who have cried out legitimately, Abba, Father... You've been delivered from legalism. You know that there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation now. You who have been born of the Spirit, now walk in the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Don't resort to trying to live out the Christian life in your own strength. Galatians 2.20 is there for a reason. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? Well, let's just deal with this. I have been crucified with Christ. What that means is, I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I didn't have a prayer. But Christ, the sinless Son of God, died in my place. And when He did, He took all my sins upon Himself. And in that sense, because He died for my sins, I died with Christ. Now listen. The next thing he says, Galatians 2.20, Nevertheless, I who died in Christ, nevertheless, I live. But the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So I'm now living as one who's been raised with Christ from the dead, And I'm living in a way that can please God because it's not just me who's trying now to please God, trying now to obey God, but one who has the Holy Spirit in him. And by that Spirit, I can now live and walk and obey God and do those things that pleases Him. Watch this. Galatians chapter 5. With your Bibles open, just turn there. With me, please. It's amazing how frequently he refers to the Holy Spirit. Verse 16. 
So I say live by the Spirit. Don't just try to strive to to keep the law as a Christian. You don't have to live under the law. Neither do you need to live under the law of sin. If you live by the Spirit, you will please Him. Verse 18, But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then verse 25, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And in the middle of all that, he refers to this delicious fruit called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. I love the fruit of the Spirit. If you haven't read it before, you ought to mark it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, it's fruit singular. These aren't the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit. Because they come from a singular source. And like wheat, there's the head of wheat with many kernels, so there's the fruit of the Spirit with many dimensions, but it's all love. Joy is love rejoicing. Peace is love resting. Patience is love waiting. Kindness is love acting. Goodness is love's virtue. Faithfulness is love's consistency. Gentleness is love's touch. Self-control is love's restraint. It's all love. It's the different facets of love. Where does this come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces in us this fruit. Some of us try to pin on our fruit. Like artificial fruit. Some of us have baskets of artificial fruit. That's fine. Decorative. We don't need artificial fruit. The problem with artificial fruit is it will always fall off. But the fruit of the Spirit grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. And it doesn't come from us. It comes through us. But it's the evidence that there's someone else living in there. The Holy Spirit of God. Amen. That's the book of Galatians. Two problems. Legalism and license. One answer. The Holy Spirit empowered redemption of Christ. Only the Holy Spirit can get us to heaven activating our faith and imparting to us the ability to cry out, Abba, Daddy. And it's only the Holy Spirit that can solve the license problem of throwing off restraint and living any way that we want because that's not freedom. That's bondage. We're in bondage to sin. No, on the one hand, legalism is bondage to the law. The Holy Spirit's the answer. The other hand... License is bondage to sin. The Holy Spirit is the answer. 
taking the work of Christ and enabling us to walk in liberty. Liberty from the law of sin. Liberty from the law of the moral requirements of God that we can't keep. The Holy Spirit takes the work of Christ and applies it to us. I had two conversations recently that I'm reminded of right now. I wasn't planning this, but in the neighborhoods walking one day, it was sad. And I knocked on a neighbor's door and they said, oh, I tried religion. For 15 years I tried religion and it didn't work for me. And I thought, wow. And fortunately, it was one of those moments where I, I had a reasonably decent answer. And I said, if I tried religion for 15 years, I would have quit also. But I want to offer you something else. It's a relationship with God and Jesus Christ that will knock your socks off. And I guarantee you that you have not had that. You had religion. And religion does kill. But Jesus gives life. Another conversation was with someone a little closer to home. Someone in the family of God. Who said to me, Fred, I've been a Christian a while, but I am just tired. I'm just weary. No matter what I do, I don't feel like I can measure up. And I'm ready to just chuck it. And I said, I said, um, I'd like to join you in having a funeral. I'd like to preside over your funeral. I said, I want to let you know, first of all, that you've been crucified with Christ. Did you ever realize that? I said, well, what do you mean? I said, you died with Christ. I said, first of all, the moral law that you're trying to keep, you can't keep. But the alternative is even worse. I said, the fact of the matter is, somewhere there's a disconnect between you and the love of God. And bottom line, you have a problem, not probably with your theology, but with your experience. Your experience of God is not working for you because somewhere you are not connecting with the love of God. You are trying your best, your level best, to please God. But you don't have to do that anymore. Let's just die to that. Let's, let's face the fact that you can't measure up. Let's just sign a post-mortem on your life and forget it. Then you have opportunity now to begin relying on the Holy Spirit. And every day, pray a similar prayer to open your heart and to hold out your hands and receive a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit and to watch what happens. I said, 
die to yourself and give the Holy Spirit a chance to make room for the Holy Spirit to do in you what you weren't able to do in yourself. It's the story of Galatians. In one way or another, the book of Galatians is for all of us. Amen.